We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by Nick Filato. We had a lot to talk about from this Rams game. There was this all 22 was screaming at us. It told us a story on both sides of the ball. So we decided to break it into two podcasts. This one is going to be just strictly on the defensive side of the ball. I want to give out a game ball to Patrick Graham, so I want to talk a lot about what Graham did in this game. This was a breakout game from Patrick Graham, in my opinion, as a coordinator. This was the best single game by a Giants coordinator I've seen in the last three seasons, maybe dating back even further, I thought. If you really watch this game in the All-22, the Rams had... 200 yards of offense with multiple opportunities here it didn't matter the Giants shut down the run game the Giants shut down everything the Rams wanted to do the staple of their passing game so I want to talk about that I want to get into a bunch of this I want to start though with the guy I'm calling the MVP of this game and there's so many guys you can give the MVP to we're going to talk about him Blake Martinez had another hell of a game Bradbury just an awesome player all four of the linemen. Yeah, four. I'm talking about Dex. I'm talking about the guys you're expecting. Dalvin. I'm talking about Leonard, but also Austin. Yeah, Austin Johnson. And how about Tay Crowder? I mean, 
that, Ryan Lewis. There's just so many guys in this game that stood out to me. But overall, the game ball for me is Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator. So let's start there, Nick. Tell me about some of the things you liked and just the overall game plan from Graham. Graham did an excellent job just employing different fronts, 3-4, 3-3-5, 2-4-5, 4-3, 4-2-5, all in certain situations. And what he did on the back end of coverages was very, very unique. And it had pattern match kind of elements to it because there was just a ton of communication between the second, the apex defender, and the cornerback, the outside cornerback. And what would happen is the number two receiver, if he was going vertical, one of those two defenders were going to take that assignment and they would make some sort of a defensive call and communicate to each other where the other defender would jump to the under route and they would actually switch a route, which is kind of risky. They would switch coverage assignments mid-snap and it really confused the hell out of Jared Goff. It was based on their leverage. It was based on the space that they had on the field. There were plenty of times where James Bradbury and Darnay Holmes or James Bradbury and Logan Ryan They communicated and they switched who they were originally, kind of like a banjo type of coverage way, only it wasn't at the line of scrimmage, it wasn't a stack. It was, I'm going to cover the deep, you're going to cover the under to the outside. And they would switch. And that was something that I have not seen quite yet from Patrick Graham. And it's definitely, I think it was all kind of something that the defense knew they were going to do in passing situations and they were able to communicate that a lot towards each other but when the Rams went up tempo was when the Giants kind of fell off of that and that might have been one reason that led to that broken play because Julian Love it was quick tempo play yeah yeah. a Julian Love didn't really get the memo that he might have Mm -hmm. to carry that number two and I don't really want to blame him because I think he was under the impression that James Bradbury was going to take the deep so he took the under and that's why you see he lets Cooper Cup just run right past him and then he sets outside And James Bradbury, who was with his number one receiver on a deep comeback route, was just carrying his route. And it was some sort of miscommunication. Because there was no middle of the field safety, the Giants brought a DB on the blitz. Nobody picked up the middle of the field, and that was an issue. Now, I think Logan Ryan talked about it, and he said that the communication with the sideline and with the rest of the team could never get out because of the up-tempo nature of the Rams. So that's going to be some issues that the defense could run into with blown plays. We saw it a little bit with James Betcher. Now this is a different type of defense, a little bit more simplified, but we saw back end coverage pieces communicate, switch assignments mid route. And you could tell Jared Goff was just uncomfortable, didn't really trust it. And he was just checking down to Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby and whichever running back in the flat because he didn't want to throw deep because those those coverage defenders were able to do that when they had the middle of the field closed because any inside breaking route was going towards the middle of the field and since the inside breaking routes were going to be eliminated the deep ones especially by the middle of the field safety with the robber and the linebackers playing on the hashes kind of eliminating the middle of the field in general there was just nowhere that Jared Goff felt confident about tacking vertical to the intermediate and deep parts of the field So the Giants did an excellent job in coverage, and it was predicated on shutting down the middle of the field, being excellent communicators with each other in coverage from the numbers to the sideline, and also having that middle of the field close safety. And they played a lot of zone. They didn't have to play a lot of man coverage. They played a lot of zone coverage, and they were able to clamp that field down and not allow the Rams to get enough separation to where Jared Goff felt comfortable enough to attack downfield. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there, Nick, so I'm going to try to do it one by one with your breakdown. Let's start with what you said. 
the incorporation and usage of more pattern match concepts. We hear the word pattern match, and I'm sure some Giants fans who are listening to this podcast are immediately freaked out and immediately like, uh-oh, that's what I tried. That's what they tried to do with James Betcher all the time, and that's why it was such a disaster in the back end. But then you flip it to the side of this year, the 2020, where the Giants really hadn't shown this much in the first three games. Is that before I move forward? Is that fair to say they haven't? This is really the first game they did more of that. I saw a lot of that in this game. Yes, I'm, and we hadn't I, seen it previously. No, I haven't. So yeah. why I wonder why. If the Giants debuted it in week four after not using it much and practicing it much, at least live game reps-wise, did it look so damn good, but James Fetcher had two years and he couldn't get it going. I mean, to me, that's coaching right there. That's the definition of coaching. And I can start with that, but it really goes for me when I watch this defense, especially in this game. You said it best. The proof in the pudding is the fact that Jared Goff had to consistently check down. And when he did try to take shots towards the hashes, towards the sidelines, there was two, three guys in coverage. There was minimal space, and he sailed a few balls that, you know, he didn't really have any other options on there. But that is all good in gravy. That's the proof in the pudding, watching him check down, you know, looking at this pattern match stuff work. But the gravy here for me, the stuff that really stands out about Patrick Graham's defense, and this has been pretty true of the first four games, a little less so in the second half versus the Niners. I don't totally blame him with the way the offense played and with how they turned the ball over on downs and, you know, with interceptions. But for the most part in the first four games, and especially in this one, this defense rallies to everything underneath. This defense plays with intensity in every aspect of the game. And it's just awesome to see because this game, it all came together. That rallying to ball, that intensity that they've played with under Graham, in addition to Graham just having the perfect counter for everything the Rams want to do. We talked about it like oh, uh-oh, we got to worry. Shanahan had such a good game against the Giants. He really outcoached them. What's going to happen when McVay comes in, the guy who shows the same play twice and it's a run and a pass? Well, guess what happened? At home, on the road, Giants are for the Rams, the Giants traveling West Coast, Graham fooled McVay more times than not in this game. Graham did a really, really good job fooling Jared Goff. Got him to check down, got him to really throw passes where there was just no separation at all, nowhere to go with the football. And the end result was, like I said, the Rams really didn't move the ball. Fifty-five, Almost 25% of their yards came on one broken play by the Giants, broken coverage, where, like you said, the tempo hurt them. So A-plus game for me for Graham. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to go look at some of the plays that we're talking about, look at the top of the screen on the third and five in the second corner with 8.35 left in the game. It ended up being a check down to Robert Woods for about four yards where Blake Martinez just absolutely blows him up. But if you look at the top of the screen, the Rams try to confuse the Giants with these kind of coverage looks. They already showed it a couple times at this point in the game, and they have a stack in between the hash and the numbers with a far receiver in plus splits. And they use number 34 of the Giants, Colbert, who runs from that from that hash down to cover the stack and then he ends up taking the under route and gives whoever that cornerback on that side, I believe it was James Bradbury, the call to handle that deep number two receiver on the flag. So James Bradbury comes off his original assignment and does that. And Jared Goff is looking that way and he doesn't feel comfortable. So he just checks it down to Robert Woods. There were a couple times throughout the game where that same exact thing happened. Jared Goff thought he saw leverage between his receiver. And then the defender switches the assignment, gets on the other receiver, which also gave that defender better leverage than what the original defender had on the coverage assignment and Jared Goff just did not want to pull the trigger did not want to take the risk and with that middle of the field safety just roaming and playing deep and kind of controlling the middle of the field those in-breaking routes were pretty much ineffective against the Giants because they had 
defenders on the hatches as well those middle linebacker or the weak side linebacker and also the robber from whoever was playing that other safety spot which was usually Logan Ryan and Logan Ryan was another player who had a fantastic game he was used as an outside corner he was used as a deep middle of the field safety he was used as a robber he was used as an apex defender he's used everywhere and I think that is a key ingredient to this Patrick Graham defense is having a defender like Logan Ryan somebody who possesses a very high level of football IQ who can help set these coverages and make sure everybody is on the same page yeah you're spot on it's important to have a guy like that and it's important to have a guy like Blake Martinez in the middle who's doing we're gonna get to Martinez don't get me wrong I used emojis to describe what I saw on all 22 you might have seen this tweet I made a mistake I gave Blake Martinez one green check mark he deserved three for the game that he had made two or three big green check marks um, for the game he had but before we dive into individual players and Blake Martinez, I just want to kind of go overall. The Rams are coming into this game with their entire weaponry at on offense, a really good receiver core they've invested heavily in. Daryl Henderson coming off back-to-back 100-yard rushing games for the Rams, where he was really looking good, forcing, I, I think he was top five in most elusive rating on pro football focus. An offensive line that's playing really well together. And Jared Goff, who had one of his best games in the last three years, or last two years, I should say, in week three. And they shut them down. Like I said, 25% of their, what, 200 yards came on one broken play where they had, obviously, you know, a really good play by Cooper Cup and Jared Goff. But like you said, it was a miscommunication by the Giants' defense. It's not not, not something crazy there. I mean, it wasn't 25%. Sorry, it was 20%. Uh, they had 240 yards on offense. The Rams, and it was a 55-yard play. But the thing that I thought was most interesting before we get into individual players with regards to this defense is the biggest flaw, flaw for this Giants over the last few years has been a combination of things. One, they can't cover the, cover the middle crossers. They did a great job of that today. Kudos to Graham, because guess what? The personnel's good in some spots, but overall still lacking in many spots. Another thing, burn consistently by tight ends. Uh, Tyler Higby did nothing in this game, and he's done stuff against other... He dominated the Eagles earlier this season, did a great job against Tyler Higby, did a great job limiting him as well. But most importantly, it's been their inability to get off the field on third down situations. That's been what this Giants defense has been all about, the James Betcher Giants defense. Want to sum it up in one phrase? It's you can't get off the field on third down. The Rams went 5 of 13 on third down. That's terrible. 5 of 13. The Giants limit them. It's awesome stuff what the Giants defense did there to get them off the field on third down. Any specific plays come out to you? Because there's one play I want to go over where I just thought the coverage was so awesome. It was a third and 11 in the the third quarter. I'm trying to locate the exact play now where it was just lockdown coverage by the Giants defense. And there was nowhere for God to go with the football so why don't you break this play down nick because i think it was very a good example of what the giants were able to do consistently on third downs in this game yeah so this is a third and 11 with about 539 left in the third quarter and the giants actually ran man coverage they ran a lot of zone but this was a man coverage play too high originally pre-snap but once the ball is snapped ball was in the middle of the field so but logan ryan from the weak side of the formation darts right to the sticks so right to where the first down is and looks at the three receiver side as opposed to the two receiver side and just tries to eliminate any sort of middle of the field play and this is something that Patrick Graham we have to tip our cap to him and I know we already did but we should probably do it again he just eliminated the middle of the field for Jared Goff and what did we criticize him for especially against Pittsburgh and against the Chicago Bears we criticized the fact that the middle of the field crossers were destroying the Giants Mm because the Giants were running a ton of man coverage. So on this play, they run man coverage, but they drop Logan Ryan down to that side of the field. 
to just eliminate anything that could come over the middle of the field and also assist the man covering defenders because every eligible receiver is accounted for on this play. But even when Patrick Graham was running zone coverage, the middle of the field was shut down. Blake Martinez and Tay Crowder would drop into zones and occupy just outside the hashes and not allow it. And anytime anybody came near them, they would just kind of glue right to them. And that was also with the robber whenever they had a single high dropping. There was usually Logan Ryan occupying the deep to intermediate parts of that hash to the strong side and just eliminating receivers like Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby, those kind of receivers who play in the slot and align at the Y tight end spots. You could really see Patrick Graham kind of forcing Jared Goff to make really tough throws outside and credit to Ryan Lewis, who played a lot better than Isaac Yidem, and credit to James Bradbury and Darnay Holmes and those players from not getting beat when they were in man coverage and from just being really reactionary in zone coverage and just really communicative because the communication was gigantic and they need to be a team that is cohesive and they really were as a defense and when you consider all the moving parts that go into this and the fact that there were still so many players playing on this defense a heavy amount of snaps that hadn't been playing a heavy amount of snaps in the first three games the fact that communication was this on point with just a week to practice they didn't have a bye week or anything like that it's really impressive and it really goes to show that whatever Graham is teaching they're listening they're taking it in and they're learning from it because I mean listen you can talk all you want there are some good players on this defense the big the big linemen are great Martinez and Bradbury playing great and they played the most snaps but then you have Adrian Colbert who played 43 snaps that's a lot of snaps 43 57 snaps he had a really good game for the Giants and again this is another guy moving part hasn't played this kind of heavy snap game really um, for the Giants for the most part in his career and then obviously this season and he didn't have any miscommunications Ryan Lewis 42 snaps we're not talking Kyler Fackrell Darnay Holmes Tay Crowder you know we're not talking about all world all pro high draft picks guys who have had or guys who have success other rosters he's doing a lot with a little in my opinion but before we continue let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors you've counted on restaurants now they're counting on you and while their dining rooms may be closed they're still open for delivery with doordash doordash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door ordering is easy open the doordash app Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE, all one word, that's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Don't forget, that's BLUEWIRE, all one word, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, 
Bet Online, your online sports book experts. That's adjustments too, because yeah. he's adjusted each game. He's made key adjustments in this game specifically. He had a lot of adjustments to throw at Jared Goff and Sean McVay, and it really struggled. They really struggled to overcome those adjustments and kudos to the Giants players and kudos to Patrick Graham and another huge part about this and I know I brought this up on other podcasts that I've been on this week is Devontae Downs and Isaac Yadam riding bench those guys have to ride <laughs> pine because the first series of the game with Devontae Downs he misses an assignment Ugh. he allows a catch in the flat and then he goes to try to make that tackle totally whiffs on it and it's another like six or seven yards for the Rams running back <laughs> Then he goes on the bench, and Tate Crowder kind of makes a similar mistake on that Malcolm Brown, like, back shoulder, one-handed catch that was a first first down. But the next play, Devontae Downs is out, and Devontae Downs makes the same mistake, doesn't cover the flat, then runs out and makes a tackle. We didn't see Devontae Downs for the rest of the game outside of special teams. And let me tell you, listeners of the podcast here, I know I'm known as the more emotional, macro-level thinker on this pod, and Nick's the analytical guy. I'll tell you one thing. If Ryan Connolly ends up finding his way with the Vikings and becoming a great player, Nick will have an emotional breakdown off pod, and I will force him to put it on pod for all of our enjoyment. Because I can't tell you how many times we, in conversations off the off the off off air, he's brought up this Ryan Connolly decision to me. There's nothing that's made him more mad during the Gettleman era than the decision to keep Devontae Downs over Ryan Connolly. I mean, to me, you could have kept a garbage can over Devontae Downs, and it would have been an equal decision than keeping Devontae Downs. He is not an NFL player. He stinks in the system too. And like you said, he's just awful all around. I don't get it. But I, I, I tend to think Connolly probably the knee is worse than we think, whatever that may be. I'm not as down on that specific loss as I was maybe, but I'll tell you what, if man, if he regains his cat recaptures his form and shows and starts to flash twenty nineteen rookie Connolly Woo, boy, Nick is not going to be happy. No, no, I think you're wrong here. I will be happy. I want <laughs> Ryan Connolly to succeed. I want okay. him to be good, and I want the Giants to have to pay for that decision. <laughs> now, again, Ryan Connolly had a small sample size. We're not going to sure. make this about Ryan Connolly, so I don't want to make this guy out to be Luke Keekley. but what he showed was pretty damn solid for a rookie fifth-round pick out of Wisconsin. And the Giants kicked him to the curb. Now, I, I'm of the belief that the knee is definitely the issue. That has to be it, but I'm actually rooting for that kid. Especially when you keep Devontae oh, yeah. Downs over him. Oh, and you yeah. know what? Credit to Tay Crowder, man. Looks so much quicker in coverage than Devontae Downs and just looked so much better in terms of putting himself into better positions to succeed than Devontae Downs. And then we move on to Ryan Lewis and Isaac Yadam. Isaac Yadam started the game, played almost a quarter, and then he ended up getting benched because he kept giving too much space to those little curls outside and he's just not quick enough to close with he's just not that good of an athlete he's just not balanced ryan lewis however is a no-name kind of guy but you know they signed him off the skins or i should say the washington football team's practice squad and he ends up earning some playing time seeing the field and to me he looks much better in better position. I feel like in zone, sometimes he commits his hips and he takes him, I guess, a little bit too much time to flip his hips and get to the sideline because he really puts his back to the sideline, which isn't a thing that I love, but it's also something that is a part of the cover three scheme when they do run cover three concepts. I think he's just performing and playing better than Isaac Yadam ever did as a New York Giant. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about that. And Yadam, they took a chance on, they uh, you know, they basically gambled on his draft capital and maybe paying off with a system change because he was going to play in a different system than he had. He, like you said, maybe just probably doesn't have the athleticism to hold up at that position. It's a tough position to play corner. But the good news for the Giants is they might have found 
potential keeper in Ryan Lewis. So that's an you can at least hope, or at least someone who's going to give them better play this season. Because again, he played a lot. Guess who we didn't see any of really this game, or actually any at all, and that's Corey Ballantyne. Yeah, Corey Ballantyne, Nate Ebner both didn't see any defensive. Didn't see snaps. any of them, and I'm thank God with on the Ebner front because he was playing way too many snaps for my liking against the Niners. No offense to the dude, he's an awesome guy, I'm sure. Like, and he's a good special teamer, but I don't want him. I don't want him in the defensive backfield. He was never there for the Patriots for a reason, and they use a million guys at that third level. So. Yeah, absolutely not. And Julian Love only played 17 snaps, but he was dealing with some sort of injury, so mm-hmm. that could be a product of that. But Colbert stepped in and he played relatively well, so there might be a controversy if Colbert keeps this up. But hey, for me personally, I think you look at someone like Julian Love, Colbert, if he keeps progressing on this good one good game that he had with the New York Giants, it's like the more the merrier, the better, man, if you could keep these guys fresh. And this is all happening without Jabril Peppers, too. Yeah, you're right. It is all happening without Jabril Peppers. And who knows when Peppers will be back. He has some kind of ankle. It's some kind of sprain, I believe. It's not high of the high variety, so hopefully it won't be more than a few weeks or a couple weeks, I should say. But let's talk a little individual players, and I think we will obviously want to get to the in, the, the two backers because we have some takes there on both of them. Uh, one for what we want to see in the future from this Giants team, and we kind of hinted at that with our, you know, disgraceful, de- or, you know, our disgracing of Devontae Downs, but the other is just awesome. But let's talk about the player I thought was the single best player in this game on either side of the ball for the Giants on a per snap basis. Tell me who you think that would. Can you guess who that would be? James Bradbury. No. On so, a per snap basis, keep that keep that okay. qualifier in mind. On a per snap <laughs> basis. All right, this is, doesn't make for a good podcasting, but oh, I already know this. It's Austin Johnson. It's Austin uh, Damn yeah. Johnson, the former second round pick who I love when he played at Penn State. He didn't really make it in his first run in the NFL out of the you know where he was drafted for whatever reason, but. He's been really good on limited snaps for the Giants. He only played 13 snaps in this game, and he was, on a per-snap basis, the best player on the field. The hustle play he made to force that fumble was unbelievable. The Giants, here was another missed opportunity, though. They get the ball on the Rams' side of the field early, and they have to settle for a field goal. That sucks, and that's, again, part of the reason they lost the game, but putting the win and loss aside, this hustle play by Johnson to come back and force this fumble, unbelievable. But that wasn't it. He had some pass rush reps where he was just awesome i mean he had a sack but he also had the rep that you want to break down i want to let you break this one down because it was just phenomenal stuff from austin johnson i mean he has made a case that he belongs on the field for at minimum these 13 snaps maybe more it's tough to get i get it it's tough to get these guys on that when you're a dave when you when you root for a dave gettleman team you're going to have a ton of good interior defensive linemen who are only going to be able to play a handful of snaps he played 13 snaps bj hill played 15 as far as i'm concerned both could be starters potentially on this defense maybe not they wouldn't obviously to be as good as the Williams, Leonard, and Dalvin, but when you're Dave Gettleman team, it means you just keep pouring assets into the interior defensive line, so like <laughs> you just can't find snaps from him, but he made the most of these. So talk about the one rep that you that you talked to me about. Not Johnson and Hill both, man. They both yeah. had excellent, uh, they're both excellent depth pieces, you could say, and they're both obviously good enough, I feel like, to start on other NFL teams, but Austin Johnson didn't necessarily do that with Tennessee. But in this game, I mean, again, only played 13 snaps, but I want to say he was at three technique, and he attacks the half man, attacks the outside shoulder of the guard. And when the guard goes to punch, he quickly just clubs his outside arm down. And then he takes, Austin Johnson that is, takes his own outside arm and hits the outside shoulder, bringing the guard's momentum down. And then Austin Johnson rips through the outside shoulder and turns the corner on the guard to crash into the pocket. That's edge rusher type of moves there. That is very good <laughs> edge. Quick. That is very good hand technique yep. from a, what, 
310-pound defensive lineman. And he did it pretty quickly, too. It wasn't slow. It was very quick. He dipped it through his hips, dipped at his knees, so good flexibility for a big guy. Just ripped right through in order to disrupt the pocket and disrupt Jared Goff. Now, he didn't get a sack on the play, but he forced Jared Goff to step into the pocket and then throw the football. So kind of disrupted the timing and the rhythm of the play. But it was a really nice rep from Austin Johnson. It's really interesting what they have here on the interior defensive line with both depth pieces, Hill and Johnson. Because Johnson, to me, looks like just a guy who's brimming with talent in this. And and I get it. It didn't work out in Tennessee, but that happens sometimes, especially on the interior defensive line, where guys kind of make have that second showing. Um, and it'll be interesting this offseason when they have to make a decision on Tomlinson and Leonard Williams. They could potentially pay them both. They have a ton of cap space, but they might opt to go a cheaper route and upgrade the Johnson Hill roles and then kind of move on from one of the two, whether it be Leonard Williams or Dalvin Tomlinson. Just something interesting to think about, not to say Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence didn't have good games because they all had good games. They're They're, fantastic. They are the core of this defense. They're the reason this defense had a good game. They shut down the run completely in this game. Again, do not forget the fact that Daryl Henderson had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games for the Rams and looked freaking awesome. That entire run offense has looked awesome, partially because of Sean McVay. What happened in this game for the Rams? Well, 23 rushing attempts, 58 yards rushing, 2.3 yards per carry for the Rams. And don't fool yourself. I know we talk about in the past, and a good argument can be made that stopping the run isn't really all that important. But for against a team like the Rams, who use a lot of their, their a lot of their passing game is based off their run game working and just being able to kind of use that run action. It mattered. It really did matter in this game, and it really stopped them from maintaining a lot of these drives, and it led to a lot of these third and longs where, God bless, the Giants were able to get off the field finally on third down. So. Really love what I see from that entire defensive front. Anyone else on the front you wanted to pinpoint plays of, whether it be Dalvin, Dexter. I mean, I had a play where Dalvin blew up a screen that I thought was awesome. And then Leonard and, and Dexter just consistently make plays, in my opinion. Anything else, though, you want to touch on on the, on the interior defensive line? All those linemen are excellent at using leverage, using their hands, and stacking and shedding 310-plus pound Lyman. It's, it's it's great to see that. And in this game, I mean, like we talked a lot about Patrick Ram using a lot of bare front. They weren't in that as much. They would, right. they would go into it on some first and 10. And then because the Rams like to use a lot of 12 personnel and they like to use a lot of tight ends on the same side, they would actually kick that far guy out to be a five technique. So it's not necessarily a tight front anymore. But there was a lot of times where they were not lining up in the A gap and they would have two, three techniques. And then they would put the two outside linebackers along with Tay Crowder and Blake Martinez in the middle, those two outside linebackers on the edge in like a 2-4-5 type of defense. And they would do that on several different downs. It's just Patrick Graham was really varying the look up and did not really show his hand. And you could tell that Sean McVay, he was trying to answer with certain play calls. He would see the A-gap open and try to run through it. But, you know, Dexter Lawrence would crash inside, slant inside to kind of close that down. And when you have someone as good and as quick as Dexter Lawrence, you can do that. When you line him up, even though he's in the B gap, you can have him kind of take care of the A gap there, especially when you have someone like Blake Martinez, who's just never out of position as a running back. Even when he blitzes, and when he blitzes, he's he's not obviously reading his keys. He's just blitzing, and he, he starts running pre-snap, and then he shoots whatever gap that he's headed towards. There are times where they're running into the B gap. He blitzes the A gap. He gets through, and he forces that running back to just take a wider angle, which allows another teammate to come in and make the tackle. He just always affects the run. 
And I just think it's so... I think a lot of Giant fans are catching on to it, but I feel like when Blake Martinez was signed, a lot of people were kind of against it. And it's just, this guy is just very, very intelligent. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to scrape. He knows how to read his run keys. He knows how to put himself into position. He knows how to win that cat and mouse game between him and a running back on inside zone type of runs and stretch type of runs. And I'm just very, very glad that he is a New York Giant. And I also thought Lorenzo Carter had a couple reps where he held the edge you know, he did not get knocked off the edge. He held a strong edge and forced Daryl Henderson to jump back inside to the B-gap where there was usually Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and or Blake Martinez there to kind of rally and tackle him. And that's kind of the big thing about this. I don't know you said it a little bit before. This defense, man, they rally so fast to the football. So fast. And another player who rallies incredibly fast, another player who's playing a lot of snaps because he's athletic enough as an outside linebacker to drop into coverage is Kyler Fackrell. Kyler Fackrell has been a pleasant surprise. I know you really liked him coming into this season, but he's a player that I felt like has he's getting some sacks, and I know some of those sacks are coverage sacks. He's not like winning one-on-one and beating tackles fantastically. He had one sack against Whitworth, which was a little bit more of a coverage sack, but he was able to disengage and find Jared Goff in the pocket to bring him down but he's a very good backside pursuit defender and he's a very good as an I would say he's solid as an outside linebacker who can cover and that's probably the main reason why we see a lot more of him and not as much Marcus Golden yeah I mean a lot to unpack there so I'll try to break it down and and hit every point you made because I think you made some excellent points there I want to start with what you just said which is yeah Golden only seven snaps he's not a part of this defense they don't have a use for him especially when they have a guy like Fackrell but what's really impressed me most about Fackrell has been his ability to set the edge in the run game he had a really really key key game-changing play or at least game-saving play to give the Giants one final opportunity when he set the edge on a reverse him and uh and then um Blake Martinez rallied to it but Fackrell makes this play happen and he just does such an excellent job in all four areas he's really just has no he's not unbelievably amazing at anything Vacro, but he's pretty good at everything um but before we go on to Blake Martinez and I want to touch on Martinez and and like you said Carter deserves some props too he had a really solid game not not his best game by any means but did a good job on a couple plays again setting the edge the Giants really were determined to not get beat by the the Rams jet motion and that was key because that you've seen Robert Woods have massive gains against a lot of teams and other players I mean obviously they scored the one touchdown on it with Everett but that was tough that was McVeigh using the same play twice in a row and and not handing it to Everett and then handing it to Everett I mean it's a tough it's tough to stop McVeigh when he does the back-to-back stuff but I want to talk about the inside backers here because we talk about Blake Martinez like you said what an upgrade in every way I think that like you said it, it's really true with Martinez I mean at this point there was a ton of crap he took on Twitter when the Giants signed him he was coming off that San Fran his last game was that San Francisco game where he just couldn't get it together whatever even though again there were so many issues with that Packers defense I totally don't think that was all him but I haven't seen that version of Blake Martinez and I want to go down narrative street for a second because this is something that was mentioned on the broadcast that I didn't know about Martinez this offseason found out that he was allergic to milk and eggs and cut it completely out of his diet I think if you're allergic to milk and eggs, and I can tell you this as somebody who has struggled with dairy as, as as I've gotten older in my life, and I don't process my body doesn't process dairy like it once did. You feel a lot better when you take dairy out of your diet. I have removed dairy from my diet for the most part, and I feel a lot better. And the days where I do put like a whey protein or something like that, or I add the dairy back in, I feel more bloated. I have inflammation in my stomach. There, I mean, if you're cutting that, and that's me, who's I'm not allergic to it. I'm just maybe a little bit lactose intolerant in, in, a, in a way. This guy's literally allergic to eggs and milk, 
and was from Wisconsin, you know, living in Wisconsin, where all you get on a daily basis for breakfast is eggs and milk and dairy all the time out there in Wisconsin. Take it for someone who went to school out there and lived there for four years. He eliminated that, and I think he's looked a lot quicker, and I think you've seen it mostly. I want to talk about the two plays in coverage he made. I mean, he had two reps in coverage where there were check down plays. But there was so much space for the checkdown receiver. He turned these into, I think one was a two-yard gain and the other was either one or two. These could have easily been 10 yards. With any other Giants linebacker we've seen over the last decade, these are 10-yard plays. Sometimes I've seen this play against some Giants linebacker coverage get juked and turn into touchdowns when like two or three missed tackles happen. And both times he limited these plays. So you can break down either one, start with either one. But these to me were the two best plays from Martinez. Yeah, it was the uh, second and seven, 13-27 left in the fourth quarter. And Martinez does everything he needs to do. This is the second and seven. He drops beyond the sticks. He carries, I believe it was Gerald Everett's route up in a zone coverage. So it wasn't man, but he is cognizant enough to see that Gerald Everett's breaking inside. So he kind of limits his ability to break inside and leads him into the deep cover one safety, gets his depth, and then he sees everything in front of him. And that's what you do as a linebacker. You get to your depth, you eliminate anything behind you, you're passing basically that uh, receiving option off to the deep safety or the robber or whatever other coverage defender is in that area. He does all that, and then he sees the check down just leak out from pass protection, who was Malcolm Brown. And there's about, you could say, 10 yards between them. Jared Goff has nowhere to go with the football because the Giants are all over everything in this coverage. And once Jared Goff looks at Malcolm Brown, Blake Martinez just starts running right at him. Once <laughs> once Malcolm Brown catches the ball, Blake Martinez absolutely annihilates him and blows him up for a gain of one yard to force a third and six, which Jared Goff did not complete a deep pass to Cooper Cup on that play, which led to a punt. And there were several plays like this yeah. by Blake Martinez where he blew up underneath defenders, planting and driving or underneath uh, receiving options where he plants and he drives downhill very, very hard. And he's very hard to elude. It doesn't seem like he gets juked all that often. Yeah. His his ability to kind of be a heat-seeking mis- missile in these types of situations and in the run game, really, it's really, he's, he just seems like a very, very sure tackler when he has you in his sights. Yeah, he really does. I don't see much Honestly, so far, I haven't seen much negative from Blake Martinez. I know he was billed as this guy who's lost in coverage or making most of his tackles downfield. I see him as a guy who's filling. I see him as a guy who knows where he's supposed to be in the run game almost all the time. I see him as a guy who's rallying to underneath throws and making really good plays on the ball. Yeah, the first and 10, 14-27 left in the third quarter. So it's basically to open the second half. It was just a little play-action rollout by Jared Goff. And Blake Martinez doesn't bite. He sees Cooper Cup release into the flat all alone because James Bradbury has to take the tight end deep and he just closes with takes a great angle and yeah. tackles Cooper Cup for a gain of nothing for a loss of one yard yeah and he did this several times it's just discipline man discipline great angle and sure tackling discipline. all of it he has all of it intelligence yep he is really good like he's I'll say this about him Bradbury I thought could Bradbury's exceeded my expectations to some degree on a level of what's exceeded my expectations more, it's been Blake Martinez. I thought he would be in a, a great addition just in the sense that Ogletree was just so freaking bad there in the middle <laughs> last year. And he was a little better in 2018. I still want to say that about Ogletree. I don't know what happened last year, but partially maybe the injuries, but he was still bad. But I knew he'd be an upgrade in the run game for sure, but he's been an upgrade everywhere on this defense. Now let's move on to the other inside backer I want to talk about here. And is it too soon to say 
Tay Crowder needs all the snaps that Devontae Downs is getting and more. Tay Crowder should be a part of this defense. I don't think it's too soon to say anything when Devontae Downs is brought into it, but I I think that he still needs to obviously prove himself, which I'm sure you're on the same page yeah. as me. And you also have guys like TJ Brunson who didn't dress, Cam Brown who hasn't really seen the field. Now, if those guys could play anything close to Tay Crowder, the Giants are in a very, very good place. But Tay Crowder definitely still needs to prove this. There were a couple times in coverage where he didn't necessarily expand horizontally with the running back leaking out, and it led to an eight, nine-yard gain. And those are little things that you can clean up. And he's also, you know, there's a lot to process. His mind's probably moving, you know, a million miles a minute. But when in terms of being in the box, I really liked what I saw. In terms of recognizing routes from inside the numbers, or I guess you could say from splitting the numbers to the hash that he's on, he did a really good job. I mean, the one route was by the hash, and what did he do? He sees it. He's in the middle of the field. He works towards it. He reads Jared Goff's eyes, and then he jumps, and he almost intercepts it. Yeah. And, I mean, you could even argue that he did intercept it. I don't know how that play was overturned. It was weird. It looked like it didn't hit the ground to me almost. It really didn't. It, it, that's a tough one to overturn. I, I, if they ruled it the other way on the field, I'd be yeah. like, okay, you can't overturn that and call it a pick. But since you called it a pick, I feel like it's tough to overturn it, that because it didn't seem like there was a definitive view. It didn't seem like I saw a definitive view where the Either ball way. was definitely hitting the green of the turf. But I guess they had with the with the cameras. They I'm had. imagining. Yeah. It is what it is there. Um, whatever. But just from overall speed standpoint and just having that kind of athleticism, second level. And the fact that you don't really lose much against the run, if anything, I think you're actually gaining against the run. That's how bad Downs is. To me, it's a no-brainer as far as Downs' snaps go. And I'm intrigued by just having him in more snaps. I think he offers a lot, like just from overall profile standpoint. He offers a lot. He offers a lot of versatility for the Giants' defense. Anyone else on the defense that stood out to you in this game? Um, I know we both agree this was mostly just a really excellent game plan executed by the Giants, and and obviously Patrick Graham, MVP of this game, I think, game ball. I would I would agree, but also I want to tip the cap to the players. They executed yeah. the assignment. Sure. There wasn't any glaring other than that one play where it was a miscommunication, mm-hmm. and kudos to Sean McVay because that was just up-tempo, and that messed with the Giants' communication. The, sure, the Rams and the— Rams offensive coordinators were looking at the fact that the Giants were using a lot of switch coverages in the back end, and they said, okay, if we go up-tempo, their communication is going to be all jacked up, so let's take advantage of that, and nobody took Cooper Cup there. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you run some coverages that are a little bit more exotic. But I got to say, these players really uh, played up to their potential, and let's just hope that the guys like Crowder and Ryan Lewis can continue to do that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And one thing I would ask you before we jump off here um, if there's no one, nothing else to touch on player-wise is this. Should I at least be, uh, I don't want to say concerned, but tip the hat to or give credence to the possibility that one of the reasons the Giants did well in this game on the defense side of the ball, not well, dominated, they, considering the personnel, the matchups here, they played a dominant. Um, it's because the Rams run a lot of 12. I mean, this feels like a defense that's going to be so much better against 12 and 13 and heavy personnel. When you spread this defense out and you put those three receivers on the field, like they're going to see next week with Lamb, uh, Mari Cooper, and Michael Gallup, in addition to Dalton Schultz, who's coming on a little bit. It feels like, to me, this defense is so much better suited where they can get those big interior guys on the line and they could go up against two tight ends or three tight ends. I would agree with that. I think the Giants are better suited at defending the 12 personnel, especially because it simplifies the routes, concepts, and the coverages in the back end. Mm -hmm. And also, you can kind of roll out with four linebackers. And when you do that against you know a team that uses a lot of 11 personnel or even 10 personnel, 
you're going to have to do dime quarter kind of packages. That's going to eliminate Tay Crowder, and that's going to bring probably Corey Ballantyne or Isaac Yadam back onto the field for more snaps. And that's probably something the Giants don't necessarily want to do as of right now. So I definitely say they're definitely more suited for a 12 personnel kind of keep it tight sort of team, especially because that game plan that Patrick Graham came up with was to disrupt and not allow them to be beat in the middle of the field in the short to intermediate parts of the middle of the field. And the Rams couldn't do it. Yeah. Overall, though, awesome, awesome day for the Giants defense. Really positive to go forward. There's so much to take away from this in the positive column. Patrick Graham, he may be the answer there, defensive coordinator. Blake Martinez, the answer at middle linebacker. James Bradbury, we didn't even touch on Bradbury. He's the king right now. I give him the king crown because every time he steps out there right now, he plays good football. Um, Fack roll, you know, take Crowder on some reps, that entire defensive line, including the, the sub the sub guys like Austin Johnson. I mean, there's so much good to talk about when it comes to this defense after this game. So we're just happy. We're looking forward to him. We're hoping we can see more of it in a surprise performance against the Cowboys. It's not the matchup they want against those three receivers, but it's the matchup they have, and let's see what Graham can do. Yeah, I'm really worried about what the Cowboys do with CeeDee Lamb. They like to line him up really tight, only a couple yards outside of the hash, basically. So splitting the numbers and the hash. And then you have two other receivers in a three-by-one set with him as that number three. And they love to use him up the seam. They love to use Dalton Schultz up the seam. They're going to do that to occupy that middle-of-the-field safety and then just use Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper to basically target whoever is against Ryan Lewis. That's going to be a big game plan. You expect Ryan Lewis to have to put up or shut up in this game, and he could be exploited. He really could because we don't know all that much about him right now, but I'd still say that I'm a little bit more confident in his presence than I am Yidem's. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, like you said, we're going to see that play out as we move forward. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning into the second part of the All-22 breakdown for this week. We did the offense. Now we're doing the defense. If you want to do your part to help grow this podcast, please do us a favor. Tell your friends and family about the number one Giants podcast, the only one that breaks down the film in this regard, in my opinion, the best one, the most detailed. I know I'm biased, but I don't care. And if you want to help us out, just rate and review and subscribe to us and make sure you download every podcast on iTunes and then do us a favor head over to instagram we know you check it once a day i'm addicted to that stupid thing too i'm trying to get rid of that after watching the uh social dilemma documentary but if you're still on instagram you're one of us then go ahead follow ny big blue banter there and you're gonna get all our content there you're gonna get interactive stuff some great engagement stuff that we think is a lot of fun run by our buddy sean so on that note let's see what happens the giants are 0-4 but somehow still in this division so if they can steal one from the cowboys this weekend It would change a lot, in my opinion, um, and just be awesome. It's always awesome to beat the Cowboys. Let's get a win. So on that note, we'll leave it at Let's Go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.